The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our hosts, Kyle Reiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor, and Joel Whipperforth, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead. What should corn farmers keep in mind, Joel and Kyle, as they prepare to select seed for 2018? I think a lot of the things that we prepare starts in the fall, which we're in, is to figure out what your practice is going to be. Are you going to split apply your nitrogen? What rates are you going to put on? That's where you really start. Once you figure that out, you find the right corn variety based on your management practices. Yeah, so the new varieties are always an unknown for producers. And one of the things we try to really focus on in the answer plots is sorting out the rotational impact per variety, the population impact, the nitrogen impact, soil type, and fungicide response to those varieties. Certainly, when we look at our yield trials, I think one of the places that we have the biggest opportunity to help producers make a decision on their highest input cost per acre is looking at the overall yield of the genetics, but then being able to sort down through the variances that those different hybrids have in their response to different things. When I just look at yield as an overall selector of varieties, you can look at your local county plot, you can look at your neighbor's strip trial plot out there, and and certainly the, the coffee shop talk. But... One of the things that goes on is variety churn rate happens. And when a hybrid's been in the market for three years and everybody's planting it, the idea that you need yield to validate that hybrid's performance, at that point, purchasing validates that hybrid's performance. So again, one of the things we really look for in the answer plot data is genetic performers that are in their first or second year in the marketplace that have a really uh, elite germplasm, but also how to handle the management of those certain varieties. And, And so one of the places we house that information is in the R7 tool in something we call the CHT charts. CHG charts are pretty neat because they have so much different things to to look at as far as soil type. You're looking at rotation, corn on corn, corn on soybeans first, unlimited nitrogen, limited nitrogen, populations and all that. So it's a neat tool that everybody should, if they haven't seen it already, should access or ask at the local retailer or advisor to see this tool because it's a game changer. Yeah, so CHT would be the characterization trials is what comes out of the answer plot. And we color-coded each variety in these CHT trials. And one of the things that's really unique about this that I think is a tough experience to get is we look at the major genetic suppliers in the marketplace of DeKalb seeds, NK seeds, of mycogen seeds, and the cropland brand and those genetic top performers. And then we also look at some of the DuPont genetics in there. And it's a place where... Every player is on an equal playing field with a similar equal opportunity as far as variety entries or number of entries. And you can really start to sort out the top genetic suppliers in the marketplace and which of those varieties are top performing. You can sort them out on a national level and also start to look at which environments they really shine in. Some of the things that surprises me, and I guess maybe it shouldn't, is our high-yield environment varieties that really do well there. A lot of times our high-yield environment varieties also have this high response to fungicide. And, you know, one of the things, you know, painting a really broad brush here is some of the hybrid packages that do well in environments with high disease 
bees, when you get them into top yield environments, they don't do as well as the hybrids that need a little bit of help from a disease standpoint in the high yield environments. So certainly there's this trade-off that happens in between the different agronomic packages that come along with a high yield environment versus a low yield environment and how much help those hybrids need to achieve their full potential. A lot of it, too, the, the answer plots are on some good acres. Some of them are irrigated. Some of them are on dry land. So there's another aspect to look at. For the people that are under irrigation or pivot, we have all that data also. And the neatest thing is it's the least significant difference is less than two bushels. So we have all these answer plots, close to 200 over the whole United States, all these replications, and then it comes within two bushels. So anything outside that two bushel statistically is different. And you know that variety is going to respond in that characterization of that field. And every field is different. Some have stresses, some don't have stresses. Some have issues with uh, retention of nitrogen or have some tile problems or just in tough environments. And, and we not only look at the racehorse varieties that have huge upside potential, but we always look at um, there's tough acres out there that just don't have the capability of raising such high yield. We need to know those varieties too because there's a lot of those fields in the United States too that we're looking also in, in Canada and other places. So I think there's this interesting thing going on with seed selection. And I think that there's a bit of a turning point for it. And maybe a better example of where I've seen this turning point is actually happening in the equipment market right now. I had a chance uh, this summer to sit down with uh, a couple of John Deere dealers. And I, I said, hey, you know, I, I see that uh, John Deere has a new series of combine coming out. And uh, tell me tell me about what's what's different about it. You know, I, I see the pictures and the, the equipment looks the exact same. What's different? that they would have named it a new series class higher. They would have changed the, the nomenclature on it. And uh, the, the response was kind of interesting. They said, you know, we, we were excited to see, you know, was there a new body type, a new cab type? And really none of that was true. But the difference came in the technology that was inside the combine that actually the computer was a little bit different. The technology to measure foreign matter in the grain tank was different. And, and this was kind of the first time that technology was the thing that made the difference for them to claim a new series out in the marketplace. I think genetics is at that kind of same turning point where there's a lot of great genetics in the marketplace, but the question you might ask is, well, what is the technology that's going to carry me through during the season? And I can purchase genetics from you, but what tools do you have to help me make in-season decisions? Because kind of the story goes like this. If you're a farmer and you price corn in the market at $4 and the corn market goes to $5 and it's a dry year, well, you're on the wrong side of the market. But the same thing is true if the corn market's $4 and corn goes to $3 and you didn't manage the hybrid to get more yield out of that, that same hybrid you're, and it winds up being a good year you're still on the wrong side of the market because you don't have the same bushels to haul the town. And so I think we, when we look at the genetic differences and the variances that we look at on the CHT charts, that making sure that we can execute the preseason planning of selecting the right soil type, selecting the right rotation, and selecting the right population. But then the second step is really, really important as that corn price fluctuates up and down, knowing when to put your foot on the brake and knowing when to put your foot on the gas. And that comes from that in-season management of the response scores of response to fungicide and response to nitrogen. Those are the places that make the really big difference in seed selection. A lot of people have good genetics out there, but knowing how to carry those genetics through the season past the time when just the seed sale is made. And that's all located on the R7 tool. And it's just, a like I said, a, a game changer, right? Because 
you have so many different things to think about when to apply if you have the practice to apply and in-season management is the future and how we're going to manage this crop we're not going to get to 503 bushel by doing the same thing over and over grandpa used to have wooden wheels now we have rubber wheels right so things are changing and this way of raising production high corn production is going to change a lot of in-season and this is the answers to the test going to the r7 tool and finding this information yeah, it's a great example of how, you know, it's not just the genetics that you're selecting, but also the technology that comes along with those genetics. So what do you see as the biggest breakthrough in technology in the last 10 years in regards to corn and soybean production? I think when you look at technology, that term in the last 10 years has really been about the biological age of agriculture. And farmers' version of technology that they could take advantage of there was typically traits. But if you back way, way up to agronomy, it was right at the turn of the century where agronomy started to kind of be the thing of make the best seed selection, then uh, make sure you eliminate the weeds, and then uh, make sure you use fertilizer. And, And so those were kind of the the dawn of, uh, of agronomy, there was an agronomic age where that was the technology we're using, followed by the mechanical age, where we went from horse-drawn to using a tractor, and certainly the mechanical age was the technology that we're using. And then you moved into the chemical age, where we started to use uh, you know, weed control via chemistry, certainly uh, helped us increase production there followed up by this biological age of technology was traits within the plant that you know allowed that insect to die by just taking a bite of the root and we didn't have to apply insecticide and we still got better results trying to maintain uh, pestilence pressure from being a limiting factor and now the technology that I see coming into the, the next era is the mathematical age of agriculture and this mathematical age of agriculture goes around using technology tools and helping make in-season decisions on the best germplasm in the marketplace. And certainly this mathematical age brings about tools like climate, field view, and uh, the R7 tool, and some of the crop models like field forecasting tool to help make decisions in season about how to manage those genetics. So I think the mathematical age of agriculture will, will put emphasis on defining that growers who use technology will be the ones who are gaining access to land. I think also I agree with you on Joel, which I don't always, but I do on this one. Technology is a pretty neat deal, whether it's technology on a planter to uh, do down pressure or if it's it's micro-managing an acre versus managing a field what it was 10 years or 20 years ago. You get down to the point where, look, this acre or this portion of this field needs micronutrients or this portion needs different things, and, and it's on-the-go technology. It's not uh, wait until the following year to, to make it. It's being ahead of the curve and being proactive instead of reactive. So with all this technology available, having Winfield United Services is even more important. Yeah, and I, I think that our ag retailers are really starting to adopt some of these things and help collaborate with growers to take advantage of this. And, and certainly we've got some retailers that have worked hard to bring this insight and this information to growers out there, and as well as some growers that have helped us see the world from their eyes as far as, you know, growers have asked us time and time again to help them manage risk. The number one thing that they've told us every time we've asked them in any studies from Purdue's large grower study all the way down to, you know, just basic interaction is help us manage risk. And managing risk comes down to, you know, help us make decisions or help build tools that help us make decisions. I think it's a it's a commonplace when you're paying three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, or five hundred dollars, wherever it's gonna be in the next ten to fifteen years. It's about I expect 
to know everything about that particular kernel, that hybrid, so I can manage it in a season. If I'm paying four or five hundred dollars, I better know what the response to population or nitrogen is on that score, or continuous corn on corn, or whatever it may be. That's the expectation I have as a grower and as an advisor in this company. You know, I, I see a couple of companies trying to classify that based on yield data, but yield data and trying to classify varieties' responses from a combine monitor, although it's great, it's a little bit too little too late. Because if you're experiencing a 70 bushel variance from a hybrid that you didn't manage the nitrogen on and it was 70 bushel less, you took all the risk in that as the grower. And if you're running on a system that's helping you make hybrid selection based off of your combine yield data, they're asking you to be the one who takes the risk. And I don't think that's a, a great position, a great uh, business model to ask your producers, again, to take all the risk. And then once they've taken the risk, share that with all of their neighbors so that they can, you know, outcompete you for land and resources. I, I, I think, you know, it's about making sure that the first time you plant that hybrid on your field, you've got the answers to the test and the odds in your favor. And that's where that genetic selection that comes out of the answer plot data is not putting that risk on the farmer of having a bad experience with a hybrid because we didn't make manage it in the way that the hybrid needed to be managed. And we have another uh, question from one of our listeners. This comes from Terry in Illinois, another great question. And it is, is the best seed necessarily the most expensive seed? Is the best seed always the most expensive seed? Well, my answer is no. And I look at the variations in genetics and, and knowing that there's different prices per bag out there, you've got to bring it back to a cost of inputs per bushel. And I think back to 10 years ago, I thought that population was really going to be the driver of yield, that population alone was going to do it. But, you know, I'm looking at our answer plot data right now, and I'm going, by adding uh, 8,000 more seeds per acre, we're only picking up eight bushels. It's nearly a wash to drive population on average. Now, you got to look at the variance in there, that the genetic selection of a specific variety is really important to what that population response can be. But just simply selecting the highest cost genetics, that's not the whole story. So one of the things I've seen our technical seed managers in the cropland brand really start to do a good job of is building an Excel spreadsheet out that gets to that cost per kernel and cost per acre and putting that hybrid selection on hybrid A with a little bit higher population with a little bit more nitrogen because it's got a high response to population and high response to nitrogen at this expected yield. And then leaving that final answer up to cost cost of inputs per bushel. And then same thing, taking a, a hybrid with a low response to nitrogen and a low response to population. And you know, you're going to get a different yield out of that hybrid. But figuring in that cost of inputs per bushel, it all comes down to how much does that seed cost per kernel, but then also figuring in those response factors of management in there. Don't just stop at the cost of seed. Make sure you're including the management costs that are associated with how that hybrid would respond. I think it's a great point. You got Randy Dowdy out there. It's got 503 bushel, right? So everybody knows 16, 16 uh, rows around by uh, 32 or 36 long by 32,000 population divided by 90 is 200, right? So he's got 500, and that's a 200. So you're going to have to have two of those years that size plus somewhere. It's what we're currently doing for management is fine. But if we're going to reach to where he is, you're going to have to change dramatically on how we're going to get not only one ear on there, but also two ears on a plant and retain those ears using in-season management and the capability of that germplasm. 
Yeah, you know, you, you talk about Randy Dowdy, and obviously, you know, believe it or not, I think Randy's doing some things that aren't always economical to get 503 bushels. He, he's maybe, you know, making sure that there's plenty of nitrogen out there, lots of micronutrients, and, and he's really pushing the boundaries of that. But if you fall back to a production environment, when you think about high-yield corn, it's the last bushels that are the most sustainable. When you're adding that final 10 bushels of in-season management, those are the cheapest bushels you can purchase because you've erased the fixed cost of planting and tillage, and you've amortized those more bushels over top of the fixed cost. So certainly looking at that in-season management to offset the fixed cost, the story for success is really about offsetting the cost of inputs per bushel to make that calculator come out in the black at the end of the year. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with our hosts, Kyle Reiner, Master Agronomy Advisor, and Joel Whipperford, Ag Technology Applications Lead. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com.